want to invite you to take God's Word and turn to Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18. I absolutely love this time of the year, especially uh, here around the church. We have our Christmas Spectacular kicking off on Wednesday, and uh, it is going to be wonderful. At the conclusion of today's service, we're actually going to have a time of prayer and just dedicate the Christmas Spectacular Uh, to the Lord because it's more than just a production. We give people an opportunity to receive Christ. There's going to be a lot of people here that are walking in the doors of our church for the very first time to celebrate the sights and sounds of Christmas, and they're going to hear the greatest story ever told. And so it's going to be wonderful. We'll pray for that at the end of the service. And the show actually begins on Tuesday evening. We don't publicize this, uh, but I think it would be good for you to know. We kind of go through our final dry run, if you will, and Uh, We make this show available to uh, our uh, widows in the church. We make it available to some nearby nursing homes and retirement communities. We also make it available on Tuesday evening uh, to the families in our special needs ministry. And so it's a wonderful time. And speaking of our special needs ministry, we are very close to naming a new director Uh, that is going to lead that ministry once we open up our brand new facility in the new year. And so I want to thank you so very much for praying for us in this. So many good things happening around Champion Force this time of the year. And if you missed this past Wednesday, uh, the grand opening, the ribbon cutting ceremony of the lawn, uh, you missed out and we missed you. And I want to thank all of you who have given to the Forward Initiative, who are giving to the Forward Initiative uh, to help enhance our facilities. Uh, We dedicated this new area that is designed to foster community. And uh, you see some of the B-roll footage that was going on from this past Wednesday night. It was awesome. And uh, so many kids and families. It was multi-generational. We had the characters from the Christmas Spectacular out there taking pictures. Santa was there. Uh, We definitely started a new tradition here at Champion Forest with the lighting of the Christmas tree, and uh, it was just awesome. And so uh, thank you to all who came out to the lawn, and uh, we want you to use this uh, beginning today and each Sunday moving forward outside of the holiday season. uh, When you exit the church, you can go out to the lawn. We're going to have food trucks out there, and so you can eat as a family or as a life group. Let your kids run around, enjoy the day. Loopy Tortilla is here today. Can I get a witness, all right? It is a good day, and uh, had it last night. Going to have it again today for lunch, and uh, you know what they say, favor ain't fair. You know, they're here, and so I hope to see you out there. Look forward Uh, to being out there after the service. Now, this weekend, we're beginning a new series. It's kind of a Christmas edition, if you will, of The Thread. And uh, we've been looking for Jesus in the Old Testament. And uh, these next three weeks, we are going to find Jesus and see how he fulfills the role in the Old Testament of prophet, priest, and king. I read a quote by Tony Evans in my study this week that speaks to this thread sentiment and this idea of Jesus fulfilling the role of prophet, priest, and king. He wrote, if you miss Jesus, you miss everything. The Old Testament is all about him. All the sacrifices were in anticipation of Messiah who was to come. The priesthood was all about the high priest who was to come. The prophets 
were about the prophet who was to come. The king was about the king of kings who was to come. In the Old Testament, the people of God interacted with God primarily through these three avenues, these three offices, prophet, priest, and king. And this is the title of the message today. We're going to look at Jesus as prophet. We're going to talk in a moment about who the prophets were and what a prophet did. And we'll see, does Jesus, is he not only a prophet, but is he the prophet as scripture testified to? Next week, we'll look at Jesus as priest. And we'll discover how priests led in worship, how they uh, set up the sacrificial system and how they led in temple worship. And we'll ask the question, does Jesus fulfill the role of priest? And then in week three, December 18th, we'll speak of Jesus as king. So let's start this week, Jesus as prophet. And let's begin by answering this question, who were prophets? If you're familiar with the Bible, you know that the Bible is full of prophets. We actually break the Old Testament up into different sections. And there's an entire section called the books of prophets prophecy and you have in the books of prophecy what is called major prophets and minor prophets now the major prophets it's not that Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel it's not that they're more important than the minor prophets the minor prophets Hosea Joel Amos Obadiah Jonah Micah Nahum Habakkuk Zephaniah Haggai Zechariah Malachi and by the way in your time alone with the Lord you should have a steady diet of reading not just the New Testament but you need to be reading the Old Testament and specifically reading the major and the minor prophets one of the major reasons why is one day you're going to be in heaven and you're going to have a conversation with Nahum and he's going to ask you what you think of my book And you do not want to have a blank stare on your face on that day. And so you want to read these guys. Uh, They're broken into major and minor prophets, uh, primarily because of the size and the scope of the letters. All of them are inspired. All of them are important. It may interest you to know that the Bible names 133 prophets throughout the Bible. And many are unnamed. Some of the more famous, more familiar that we are as people like Abraham and Moses. Uh, Think of names like Samuel and Elijah and Elisha. The Bible is full of prophets. But how did one become a prophet? Well, first, prophets were called by God. Now this is This is like the prerequisite, okay? You had to be called by God. Being a prophet is not something you signed up for. It's not something that you elected to do yourself. You didn't fill out your resume and turn it in and just hope for an interview, okay? This is something that God called you to do. Remind you of the words of Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter one, verses four and five. Now the word of the Lord came to me saying, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. God sought people out to make them prophets. They didn't come seeking him. We see in just a moment the penalty. If you decided to presume upon God and declare yourself a prophet, there were some pretty devastating consequences that come along with that. 
A prophet is not only called by God, but a prophet was also anointed by God. At least the mass majority of them. And they were anointed with oil, which symbolized the presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit on their life, that they were indeed set apart for a special God-designed task in their life. I want you to remember in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit didn't live in people. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit would come upon people. The Holy Spirit didn't live in people until after the resurrection, until after Pentecost. And so how did you know whether a person was set apart by God? You anointed him with oil, which again represented the ministry of the Holy Spirit on their life. And incidentally, those that are anointed with oil in the Old Testament, all of them were either prophets, priests, or kings. So this is who prophets were. People called by God, anointed by God, but what did the prophets do? I want to group this in three general categories. First of all, prophets were mighty in deed, in word rather, mighty in word. Uh, 413 times in the Old Testament, we read the words, the word of the Lord, or if you remember the old King James Version, thus saith the Lord, 413 times. And the mass majority, nearly every one of them, come from the lips of a prophet. Uh, prophets spoke exactly what God told them to. They were his mouthpiece, so to speak. We call the Bible the word of God. And what does the scripture say? Hebrews 1, verse 1, long ago at many times in many ways, God spoke to our fathers, how? By the prophets. In the words of scholar Richard Belcher, the prophet was God's authorized spokesman. And sometimes they would come and they would speak a word of comfort and hope. And sometimes they would come and speak a word of rebuke and bring judgment. Oftentimes they would speak a decree from God. They would give a command or an expectation. Other times they would predict the future. They would speak to an event that hasn't taken place yet that would be taking place sometime in the future. And so their ministry created a real sense of anticipation, a real sense of uh, uh, just uh, awaiting and expectation. That's one of the things that I love about this Christmas season is the sense of anticipation. I mean, if you have little kids, I promise you there is a sense of anticipation every day. How many days left? They're counting it down. Part of the reason that we have this Advent reasons, because that's what Advent is. It is to prepare our hearts for the arrival of Christ. It's to create expectation, anticipation. And this was the prophet's ministry. They spoke for God. And how did people know they were speaking for God? What they spoke came true. And if it didn't, again, devastating consequences. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 18, starting in verse 20. The Bible says, but the prophet who presumes to speak a word in my name that I have not commanded him to speak or who speaks in the name of other gods, that same prophet shall die. 
Deuteronomy 13 says it is death by stoning. And they use this word, don't shield him, have no pity on him, do not spare him. If you say in your heart, verse 21, how may we know the word that the Lord has not spoken when a prophet speaks in the name of the Lord? If the word does not come to pass or come true, that is a word that the Lord has not spoken. The prophet has spoken it presumptuously. You need not be afraid of him. There was no playing around when someone claimed to speak for God. Is what they're saying coming true. You know, it's one of the reasons that we as Christians can have so much confidence that we are worshiping the Messiah. How do we know this? It's because of prophecies. Prophets spoke that there was a Messiah coming and how he would come. All of their prophecies came true. I mean, they speak of Jesus' birth, his life, his burial, his crucifixion, his resurrection. This is the Christmas season. So let's just look at some of the prophecies concerning his birth. Did they come true? Isaiah chapter 7, 700 years before it would ever take place. The prophet Isaiah says, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Matthew's gospel, as it portrays the birth narrative of Christ, he recognizes the uniqueness of this child that is being born. And in his writing, he quotes the prophet Isaiah, Matthew 1, 23. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. Jeremiah prophesied that the Messiah would come from the lineage of David. Jeremiah chapter 23, verse five, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch and he shall reign as king and deal wisely and shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Isaiah prophesied the same thing in our Advent reading to start the service this morning. Isaiah chapter nine, verse six and seven, it speaks of this child being born. We lifted it up in song a while ago. He's mighty God, wonderful counselor, prince of peace. And he'll have this government that is on his shoulders and he'll rule from the throne of David over the kingdom forever and ever. Did this happen? Just read Matthew chapter one, the genealogy of Jesus. Read Luke chapter three, the genealogy of Jesus. And what do you see? You see that he is indeed the son of David, came from his lineage. What about where he would be born? Seven centuries before it would ever take place. The prophet Micah, Micah chapter five, verse two, but you, O Bethlehem, Epaphratha, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient days. Did this happen? Luke chapter two, starting in verse one, the Bible says, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. 
And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who is with child. Prophets were mighty in word. They spoke for God. And when they spoke, whatever they spoke came true. Prophets were also mighty indeed. You can't think of or read about the life of a prophet without thinking of a great feat that is associated with them or a great miracle that they performed or listen to a message that accompanied great powers and signs with it. Think of some of the mighty deeds of the prophets. Moses, he was the one that called forth the 10 plagues of Egypt. Split the Red Sea in two. Samuel, it hadn't rained in Israel. It's a drought. And Samuel calls for thunder and rain and all of a sudden a storm comes. Prophet Elijah, he raises a, a widow's son who had passed away, interrupts that funeral and brings him back to life. Called down fire from heaven on the false prophets of Baal. Elisha multiplies the widow's oil. And then you remember this one? Some boys are making fun of him and so he calls a bear out of the woods to maul those kids. <laughs> Read that to your kids tonight at bedtime. That's a good one. <laughs> Daniel, rescued from the lion's den. I mean, they performed mighty deeds. It wasn't just miracles, though. It was in the way that they lived. Some of their very lives were the message that they were preaching. Think about Hosea called to marry Gomer. I mean, first of all, he had to marry a, a woman named Gomer. Secondly, she's a prostitute. And God tells Hosea, you marry her so that you can illustrate to Israel my faithful, steadfast love even when they're unfaithful to me. Isaiah, commanded by God to walk around for three years, not just preaching, but to do it naked with his clothes off. Like, wouldn't you have loved to have been a part of that prayer conversation? Uh, God, I, I think there's a disconnect here. Seriously? That wasn't in the fine print when I signed up, all right? And yet God calls him to do it, to show Israel. You depend on other nations, you're going to be naked in shame, just like me preaching this message. Speaking of being mighty indeed, listen to commentator Warren Wiersbe. He said, when God's seers prophesied, when the prophets prophesied, they utilized nearly every method to communicate their message. Amos gave direct oracles from God. Malachi used questions and answers. Ezekiel performed bizarre symbolic acts. Haggai preached sermons. Zechariah employed mysterious signs. The significance of this Immensely creative and variegated communication is that it dramatically demonstrated God's loving desire to communicate with his people. It was never hackneyed, never boring, never inscrutable, never irrelevant. It was always adequate for the time. It was always progressive, revealing more of God and his ways. Prophets were mighty in word. They were mighty in deed. 
and they were mighty in suffering. To be a prophet, your life was filled with suffering. And it makes sense because if you're speaking for God, more often than not, to people who don't want anything to do with God, chances are it's not going to work out too well for you. And the scripture certainly makes this the case as we hear about prophets in scripture. I mean, Ezekiel, the Bible says God took his wife. The desire of his eyes is how the Bible describes Ezekiel's wife to to him. God took her in order to teach Israel a lesson that when I take the thing you love most, the city of Jerusalem, when it's destroyed, this is how you're gonna feel. It's a life of suffering. Jeremiah was known as the weeping prophet because it was a life of rejection. He would preach and nobody would listen to him. They would stiff arm him Ultimately threw him in a dungeon, prison. Scholars believe it's the prophet Isaiah that's mentioned in Hebrews chapter 11 when it talks about people being sawn in two. It's speaking of how Isaiah died. Jesus, regarding the suffering of the prophets, do you remember when he looks out over Jerusalem? He looks out over the city that he loves and he sees people and the Bible says that they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. And in Matthew chapter 23, verse 37, Jesus cries out, oh Jerusalem, oh Jerusalem. The city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it. How often would I have gathered you, would love to have gathered you like a a, a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. Prophets, mighty in word, mighty in deed, mighty in suffering. And so let's ask this question, does Jesus... Fulfill this role. Does Jesus fulfill this office of prophet? This was the question that everybody was asking when Jesus walked the earth. They knew the law backwards and forwards. They had been taught all of the lessons that Moses taught. And what did Moses teach? Moses taught his people that one day there was going to be a servant that was like him. In fact, Deuteronomy chapter 18, look at verse 15. Moses is speaking, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. This is Moses, the prophet, prophesying. One day, God is going to raise someone, who's, someone up who's going to be like me. And what was Moses like? He created these great feasts, had these great miracles, led the people out of bondage and slavery. Exodus chapter 33 says that Moses and God spoke face to face as a man speaks to a friend. And Moses says, one day, God's going to raise a servant up. He's going to be just like me. And I'm gonna, he's going to be raised up from among you, from your brothers. And to him you shall listen. And this is the question that everybody was asking when they looked at Jesus' life, when they heard him teach. Is this the prophet that Moses talked about? Has to be. 
He's mighty in word. He's authoritative. We've never heard anybody teach like this before. He's mighty indeed. Do you remember the disciples on the road to Emmaus? Uh, the, the crucifixion had happened. The resurrection had happened. And these two men are walking and they're sad. And Jesus comes along. But they're blinded from seeing who Jesus is. He keeps them from recognizing him. And he says, what's, what's the problem? Why are you sad? Why are you downcast? And they said, are you kidding me? Are, have you not heard what happened in Jerusalem? Have you not heard about the things that took place? In Luke chapter 24, verse 19, Jesus says, what things? And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet. And look at how they described him. Mighty indeed in word before God and all the people. You look at the life of Jesus. Look just like a prophet. In Luke chapter 7, Jesus raises a little boy that had died, the son of a widow. They knew that was the miracle of Elijah. And when Jesus raises that little boy to life, the scriptures say fear seized them all and they glorified God saying a great prophet has arisen among us and God has visited his people. When he came into Jerusalem, the triumphal entry, people are waving palm branches and celebrating him and they're cheering and they say, this is the prophet Jesus, Matthew 21, 11, from Nazareth of Galilee. They start connecting the dots. There's something to this. In Acts chapter three, when Peter and John heal a lame man who hadn't walked in years, they perform this miracle and obviously a crowd gathers around them and Peter sees this and he begins to take notice of it and he just takes the opportunity to preach and he wants to preach Jesus is the Messiah. And so you know what he does? He begins to connect the dots for him and show them that he is the prophet. Listen to his sermon. This is lengthy, but this is good. Acts chapter three, starting in verse 17. He said, and now brothers, I know you acted in ignorance and so did your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he has thus fulfilled Repent, therefore, and turn back that your sins may be blotted out. The times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things that which God spoke by the mouth of the holy prophets long ago. And then look at this, look at this, verse 22. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him. And whatever he tells you, and it shall be that every soul who does not listen to him, that prophet shall be destroyed from, uh, every person that does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. And he says, you are the sons of the prophets. All of the prophets were the people of God, the Jewish people. Peter says, you're the sons of the prophets. You are of the covenant of God that he made with your father, saying to Abraham, in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning everyone from your wickedness. There's no doubt about it. Like the prophets of old, Jesus was mighty in word. I mean, come on, though. He didn't just speak for God. He was God. John 1, 1, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. Verse 14 goes on to say that that word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only one from the Father, full of grace and full of truth. Here's a great quote I read this week in a book by couple of different theology professors. It's called Jesus the Messiah, Tracing Promises, Expectation, and the Coming of Israel's King. Listen to what it says. Evidence of Jesus as prophet is threefold. Jesus recognizes himself to be a prophet when he says a prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and among his relatives and in his own house. Mark chapter 6 verse 4. Jesus realizes that others perceive him to be a prophet. You remember his encounter with the Samaritan woman? After saying, you come to me, I'll give you living water. She muses, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet, John 4, 19. He reacts like a prophet. He predicts the future. When a, a disciple draws his attention to the temple, he predicts that not one stone will be left on another, Mark 13, 2. And then he weeps over the future destruction of Jerusalem, Luke 19, 41 through 44. And these scholars conclude, yet Jesus was more than a prophet. Oh, he was a prophet. Mighty in word, he was the word itself. Mighty indeed, think about all of the miracles that Jesus performed. Healing the sick, casting out demons, multiplying bread and fish to feed thousands, raising the dead. He was mighty in word, he was mighty in deed. And speaking of the dead, think about his crucifixion. He was mighty in suffering as well. He was just like all the prophets, but just as this quote mentions, he was more than a prophet. Just a few weeks, day after Christmas, there's a big group of us going to the Holy Land. One of those afternoons, we'll take the entire group to the region of Caesarea Philippi. Uh, in the days of Jesus, this was a place where there was pagan worship, um, sacrifices to foreign deities, and you see remnants of it. It's an incredible place, and we'll gather our group together. And it's there that Jesus posed this question to his disciples. Do you remember this? The Bible says, Matthew chapter 16, when Jesus came into the district, Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Do you remember their responses? Some say John the Baptist. Others say Elijah. Others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. People are talking, Jesus, and they think you are a prophet for sure. And Jesus says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you're the Christ the son of the living God. He says, Jesus, you are the Messiah. You are the Christ. That's a, that's a title for Jesus. The word Christ, you know what it means? Anointed one. Oh, you're a prophet, all right, but you are more than a prophet. You are the son of the living God. And in this moment, Peter is confessing his faith, and it is a faith that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. It is this confession of faith that the entire church is built upon. He for sure fulfills the office of prophet, but he is so much more. He is the son of the living God. I wish I had time. And it'd take, us, it'd take us months to uncover and see every bit of what it means for Jesus to be the prophet. I wish I could take you to Matthew 17, the transfiguration, where Jesus stands before Moses and Elijah, the prophet, the greatest prophet. 
And they have a conversation. All of a sudden, those two disappear. And the Bible says that Jesus only remains, symbolizing that he's greater than Elijah. He's greater than Moses. The book of Hebrews says he's greater than the angels. He's a prophet. But he's way more than a prophet. He's the son of God. And so what do we do with this? All right, let's land this plane. Bring it to a close. I'm not going to circle the runway long, all right? I'm going to end my sermons over the next three weeks in the exact same way. We're going to begin in the exact same way with an Advent public reading of Scripture. And I'm going to end the sermon in the exact same way. And I'm going to give you one word in application to the message that is preached. And the one word I want to give you, it's going to be a a Christmas word. Because when you think of this word during the Christmas season, I want it to remind you of this message that we've talked about and the implications of this message. Here's the Christmas word of application that I want you to think about all throughout the week. You ready for it? It's the word wonder. Isn't that a great Christmas word? Wonder. I mean, look, when you come to Christmas Spectacular and you see the sights and the sounds and it's awesome, it's gonna be great. I want you to just take a minute when you're here to just look around during those times and just look at kids' faces because they know what wonder is. This past weekend at the lighting of the Christmas tree on the lawn, when we lit that tree, little five-year-old, six-year-old said, how does it do that? I mean, it was wonder. And here's what I want you to think about as it relates to Jesus' prophet. I want you to wonder. I want you to wonder that he's mighty in word. How many times have you walked in to this church and your soul's been parched and you've been dry spiritually? And God speaks a word. It's exactly what you need. I want you to wonder. How many times have you been going through a trial or a trouble? Life's thrown you a curveball, and in your brokenness, you don't know where to turn. And you open up God's word, and He speaks to you. I want you to wonder. I want you to wonder at the fact that Jesus is mighty indeed. And yes, he performed miracles in the Gospels, but come on, he's performed miracles in our lives. For some, he's restored a broken relationship. For others, he's given you peace to move on from that broken relationship. For others, he's provided a job or a newborn baby. Or maybe he's, if you're a Christian in the room, he's provided your salvation, the greatest miracle in all of the Bible. He forgave your sins and restored you to a right relationship with God. Just take a minute and wonder at Jesus being mighty indeed. And wonder that he's mighty in suffering. Think about Philippians 2. That he didn't just leave the confines of heaven, humble himself and come to earth. But he made himself obedient, the scripture says, to the point of death. Even death on a cross. And he suffered and he bled and he died. So that we could be in a right relationship with God. Think on his suffering. 
and wonder. And if you think long enough and you think deep enough, you know what wonder, you know what's so powerful about wonder? Is wonder always leads to worship. And Jesus, this prophet, he is worthy of our wonder, worthy of our worship, not just in the Christmas season, but every single day. Amen? Let's pray together. Would you bow your heads across? Thank you for joining us online. We hope today's experience encouraged and challenged you. At Champion Forest, we are passionate about all kinds of people coming to know God, to grow in their relationship with Him and others, and then to go out and make a difference in the world. We would love the opportunity to talk and pray with you. To connect with us, just go to championforce.org connect. And hey, of course, we can't wait to welcome you on campus, in person, on one of our locations. We'll see you soon.